From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, Amber Philpotts. Hello, podcast listeners. Amber Philpot here from WKYT. I hope this episode finds you doing well. Here we are rolling through the month of June and well into our summer, and I hope you are enjoying the season, but also we'll get a little vacation time with your friends and loved ones. For this episode, we are talking sports. It is no secret I grew up playing and loving fast pitch softball in Kentucky. The game itself and really sports in general taught me so much about life, respect for yourself and others, and also about work ethic and discipline, all things that make me the person and really the journalist I am today. June 23rd, 1972 changed the game literally for girls and women when it came to sports. 37 words that just this month we celebrated the 50th anniversary of in Title IX. So let me read you those 37 words. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Now, nowhere in those 37 words do you hear sports mentioned specifically, but it's what came along with the meaning behind the law that paved the way for athletes like myself and others. Doors were open that had previously been closed and opportunities grew. Do we still face challenges as female athletes? Of course. But Title IX gave us a place to start and a roadmap for female athletes to take off on that changed athletics as we know it. This month here on Uniquely Kentucky, I wanted to talk with a celebrated former female athlete about her accomplishments, the grind it takes to be the best, and how she thinks Title IX has helped even out the playing field. So get ready to take a dip in the pool. Well, I mean, not literally, but how about a not-so-literal lap around the pool with former University of Kentucky athlete and the school's first swimming national champion winning the 2016 NCAA title in the women's 200 backstroke, Danielle Galliard Day. And listen to just some of her accolades. These are just some. She maintained a flawless 4.0 GPA at the University of Kentucky. In 2016, she was the U.S. Olympic Trials Qualifier, 2016 NCAA Champion in the 200 backstroke, as we mentioned, four-time first-team All-American, and in 2015, she was the SEC Champion in the 200 backstroke. Those are just a couple of her accolades. Get ready for Danielle Gallier Day. Uniquely Kentucky with Amber Philpot is brought to you by the WKYT News and Weather apps, available on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome into Uniquely Kentucky. I am joined today by Danielle Gallier Day. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Amber. We're going to get right into it because I say your name like everyone should know who you are. I know who you are. I've known you for quite some time, but you are an accomplished former athlete at the University of Kentucky. Um, You were a tremendous swimmer there. less about the accomplishments they're all fun to have and to talk about and I'm, I'm proud of them but 
what I remember and what I kind of took from my college journey was so much more about the journey rather than the accomplishments and the people that were by my side through the good and the bad from my family and then the support staff provided by the university, but also my teammates who I couldn't have done any of those things without. Um, another way that I look at it is more, I'm proud of what I did in the pool and as a student. I think that you can get stuck in, and especially in certain sports where you think that you can only go, when you're going to college to be an athlete, you're only there to be an athlete. And I am proud and hopefully was a good role model to people to learn that they can really do both and succeed in both. So I'm more proud, and we'll talk about this a bit more later, I'm more proud of my um, kind of all around Mm -hmm. accolades than my sports specific accolades. We all know the University of Kentucky, and we know that traditionally you think of the school as being basketball and football and baseball, but you don't think about a lot of the other sports that are there, and there are tremendous programs there. Um, and you were, again, you were the, the first to be a swimming national champion. You're a female Um, I know that that was no small task and no small thing to be able to get that title. So talk to me about, first of all, not just winning that title, but what you were able to bring to the program, because you are, uh, you talk a lot about your teammates and what it takes to make all of you all a good team. But what did that mean to you to bring sort of some attention to that program in that way by bringing home that national title? I don't think that I realized at the time kind of what was happening, you know, when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to understand the larger impact, but I definitely see it the further I get out from my individual achievements and kind of the the development of a team. I was lucky enough, my freshman year was the first year of a whole new coaching staff, and it was kind of a seed change in our team. I was good if you took me compared to the rest of the country in high school, obviously good enough to get recruited to come and swim at an SEC team, but I was not a star. I dropped a significant amount of time when I was in college, and I think that it set me up to be, set me up, and then the rest of our team, also we have a lot of people who were kind of similar to me in that, and we were able to put Kentucky Swimming on a different track than it had been in the years before. I think the people that had come before there were, you know, they're wonderful people and there was a lot of good things that they did, but really since I arrived in 2013, so almost a decade ago, which is just crazy to me, um, Kentucky Summer Dive has been, I mean, like to the moon, so much better in the last 10 years than I think we ever could have imagined over since I finished swimming the women's swim team won an SEC championship which if you'd asked me if it was possible while we were swimming I think that um I maybe would have told you that you were crazy but um it's been really fun to see from where we started to where they are now is just really satisfying and I think it gives the student athletes and the children that are watching some great role models and great experiences So I'm just happy to have been a little part in kind of that seed change rather than focusing just on my accomplishments or what happened while I was there. I like 
too, and have been really, it's been really fun to watch their growth over the last couple of years. You know, Danielle, sometimes with great things comes great weight with that as well. Do you feel that in that even all these years removed that you will always have sort of that title and, and people will be able to associate your name with being the first does that carry some weight with you? And, and is it a good thing or a bad thing sometimes to have that on your shoulders? I think you're right there with, you know, with great um, accomplishment comes some, with pressure is a privilege is kind of the, the way that I liked to look at it throughout my career. And even from, you know, moving on into, into the real world, if you want to call it that. I think that it was very difficult to hold that pressure as a young adult, I wasn't exactly, I think I did the best I could with what I had. And I had a lot of great mentors and leaders teaching me kind of how to be a leader on our team and to the broader swimming and our local community. But I think as I've gotten older and a little bit more removed, it's become more of a good pressure. I really enjoy it's something that can't be taken away from me, like you said, even if we get some more national champions in the next couple of years, which I hope we will. Um, it's something that I can always stand for and come back and hopefully inspire the team that is around at the time and, and other folks in our local community and then the swimming community at large. So it's been more of a more of a privilege as I've gotten a little bit further away from the stress of actually training for and preparing for the the races that led to the accomplishments. You have a sister, Allie, who also swam um, at UK. And from me, just knowing both of you, it, I know that swimming has really always been a, a part of your life. Um, you know, is that something that I think I know this story. I think I know the reason I think that you're put into swimming, but I'll let you tell it. And, and how did you get into swimming? Because as a little kid, you can pick a million different things that you want to be involved in. So for you personally and your sister, how did swimming become a part of the regiment that eventually led you to you know, college and to be able to swim collegiately? So we both were born in Australia, which is like, you know, good fun fact for the, the, the icebreakers. We were born in Australia and water safety is huge there. Swimming itself is a huge sport but there are so many pools and such easy access to the oceans that everyone learns to swim. Lots of mommy and me classes from when kids are very small. And we both were involved in swimming in more of a water safety aspect from when we were quite young. And then we moved to South Carolina when I was five and my sister Allie was three. And shortly thereafter got involved in the summer league swim program in Greenville. I'm like convinced it's one of the biggest in the country because literally everyone does. There's like hundreds of neighborhoods that have pools. And so we just joined in what everyone else was doing at our school and really enjoyed it. And I think we both took to the water pretty naturally. But the one of the funnier stories for me is that I, our year round coaches recruit if you want to call it that, from they go to the summer league swim meets, they want to you know get our team name out there, and they want to see what kids can take to the water naturally to see if they can convince them to do swimming year round, and that worked for me. It worked on me, I guess, like my first or second year, and they convinced me to swim, and I signed up to swim for the season, which was like kind of the school year length, and I hated it. I hated my coach. I did not want to go back. But my parents said, you signed up to do the season, so you're 
gonna keep doing it because you we finished what we signed up for and I did just that and I quit and then about three years later when I was like 10 I restarted again and it was kind of history from there on but it was it was funny to look back and eventually we figured out all the people I swam with when I was younger were the same people that I ended up competing with or um, being in groups with as I got older we both swam at the same club that was the kind of the big club in our hometown all the way through. Allie started very early. She was like five or six, I think. And kind of kept going from there all the way up to college recruiting. And we both had the chance to swim at Kentucky as we've talked about. So it's kind of a, kind of a straight line once we, once we figured out where we wanted to go. And I, I think I remember a story coming up about how, like, I know you, you, you don't like to stay like with one thing, like sort of, and like your mom and dad, like your mom maybe was like, we're going to see if she sticks with this kind of thing. Is that yeah. like the way it was? Like just trying to figure out. So I was doing gymnastics at the time. I think when I was in, in my break, after I quit the first time, I did gymnastics and then I did both for a little while and it ended up being a thing where we needed to choose one and kids sports are time consuming and expensive. So there was, there was not room for us to be doing 12 different things. And I think, I don't think it was intentional. My parents did not force us into doing the same sport, but I think it worked out in the end for us to, to, you know, we went to the same place. We spent a lot of hours at the pool, but at least they weren't driving, you know, didn't have to be places at once. The, the cool thing you mentioned about where you guys were born, um, and we should mention, so you were able to go and do swim trials for the Olympics. Your sister actually made it and, and competed. Um, and it's it's such a cool thing because you, you guys were born in Australia, but your dad was born in New Zealand, your mom in Canada, and then you guys came to the U.S. So like, I don't know a lot about Olympics, but I know that you all had the option to choose, right, on what citizenship you wanted to be able to try and swim under? Yes, so my sister and I both qualified for U.S. Olympic trials when we were in high school. I went when I was a junior in high school, and then again when I, after my junior year of college, um, and I came close the second time, much closer than the first time (laughs) as a high schooler. As a high schooler, I was just scared. It was like swimming for us, you know, swimming in, in, at a, in a pool that's in rubber arena or some large thing. And I swam backstroke, so I was staring up at the ceiling. Um, and I still remember just swimming, being like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But it was great preparation for the second time where I was faster, but I knew the surroundings and I had a little bit better, I think, mental preparation for that second race. Allie swam at Olympic trials when she was in high school. And then by the time she got to college, it was important for her to her to represent New Zealand on the international stage. So she had the opportunity to represent them at world championships, at Pan Pacific championships, and then um, at the Tokyo Olympics, which were going to be in 2020, but ended up being in 2021. So we didn't have a chance to watch her because of COVID in person, but um, she, had a very interesting kind of international season a couple years there where she was traveling around and getting to do the international circuit as well as um, swim in college. 
Could you have ever imagined that two little girls that started out in that Greenville, you know, kind of swim circuit were competing at that kind of level and competing for the chance for you to maybe get to the Olympics and then your sister to get there? I mean, that seems mind blowing that, you know, all those years ago that that could have been the end result. Yeah, I think it, I mean, no one expected it. Neither of my parents are particularly athletic. And it's funny because they always said, um, no offense to anyone that has tattoos. It yeah. doesn't bother me that much, but they don't like tattoos. And yeah. so they always made the joke growing up that we're, we were never allowed to get yeah. any tattoos, except for if we went to the Olympics, then we could get the Olympic rings. And Allie and got your has that, though. right? <laughs> yes, Allie got, Allie got hers. Um, they're on her wrist, but little did they know that they would have one daughter who would get them and then the other would be, would be pretty close. I think oh. that... Um, probably lots of parents that say that yeah. would, would not imagine that it would come through, come true once, let alone almost twice. One of the things that I think that um, I admire really about anybody who, um, who is a student athlete um, and who competes at the collegiate level is just that sense of determination. And I know from just knowing you personally, Danielle, you are so driven in whatever you're doing. And it, it obviously showed because you were a tremendous student athlete in the classroom, let alone what you were doing in the pool. Where did you pull from to get your drive both for what you were doing in the pool and in the classroom? Where does that come from? And, you know, do you have to psych yourself up or what goes into that mental preparation for you? Because I think it's something that all of us in some way can take away from folks just learning. Well, how do you do it? I think truthfully when I was doing it that I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I have, I think after a lot of self-reflection in the last few years, have a much better understanding of my approach and how it differs from other people's. And for me, I never realized this again until after I was done, but I'm not particularly competitive. That might sound odd coming from someone with my like background, but I am much more motivated by reaching my own internal standards of success and like staying within myself rather than worrying about what other people are doing and trying to win at all costs. Um, I think that approach made me a better athlete and student um, and even makes me a better person and a lawyer now. So that's something I'm really thankful for. I've also learned just, I went inside myself, so kind of in that, in that same vein. I didn't understand until I was a kind of an upperclassman that people were scared, scared of me. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm a very intimidating person and I definitely didn't mean to be, but I, as I got older, I realized that this was a little different. Mm when I would go to a big meet or be preparing for something, I just like kind of get in the zone for lack of a better word. I was not the person who would like want to talk to my parents after every race. I almost like got in a robotic, like I had my routines and I knew what I needed to do before, during and after in kind of one of the multi-day meets. And I think that was another way whether it was healthy or not, whether that was the you know best thing going forward, I try not to let that creep into too much of my regular life because it's important to share your emotions and feel your emotions and all of those things. But I think it kept me successful in the in those multi-day swimming events to kind of 
be a little bit more internal robotic follow the routine rather than letting other people in and getting too much in my feels. <laughs> I actually understand that more than you probably think I would because I think that there is a sense of I think this is true for females a lot is that driven sometimes is interpreted as intimidating um, and I think that's you know from the other person's perspective where you and I don't see intimidating but we just see focus and being driven and I, I think I feel that a lot too sometimes people look at you and you're like whoa and I'm like no I, I don't mean to be that way I'm just sort of zoned in so I, I get that more than more than you know um Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you were a female athlete. This this wasn't the case for you, but um, NIL has really changed the deal in terms of, of college athletics. Um, this is something I think that, that you now being removed and, as you said, kind of doing a little bit of adulting and growing up and can look at, at a different perspective now. I think of females like you um, who really benefit from NIL, you know, we think of those big name contracts. I get that. But for a lot of female athletes, they have a place to make their mark with NIL, especially in sports like swimming and track and soccer um, and basketball. What's your take on NIL and, and how it's going for students and, and what it could do for student athletes? I think it's amazing. And I think we probably should have done it years ago. Um, I do think going into it, a lot of people were focused on the multi-million dollar contracts that your star football players and your star basketball players were going to get. But I truthfully believe, and I think this has been proven in the last approximately year that NIL has been permitted, that more deals and are made and more money is given to the non-revenue sports or the those non-football and basketball sports particularly to women and I think that's been borne out part of it is because a lot of the social influencer movement is centered around women there's there's a lot more money there I think to be made and a lot of young women have been capitalizing on that there are people who have made money separate from their sport just simply being able to be an influencer just like any other student has been able to be and, and will be able to be. And then there are student athletes who are building amazing businesses and getting experience that they would never have had otherwise. And, and to me, that's one of the best pieces of NIL. As an athlete, I'm sure most people are aware, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. You typically lose out on a little bit of work experience on your resume. And I think in addition to the monetary benefits that NIL brings to student athletes, it really gives student athletes an opportunity to develop their business acumen. No matter where you're going to work after college, you're going to work in a business. It's helpful to understand basic legal ramifications and tax ramifications and accounting and negotiating for yourself and, and finding the value, you know, making sure that you're getting paid what you're worth and working with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of opportunity for learning that wouldn't happen otherwise um, if NAL was still not an option for student athletes. We should mention you went on after the University of Kentucky, you got your, um, your law degree, and that is where you're working right now. Do you see yourself as a potential like later on that, you know, I've been there, I've done that in terms of 
athletics. And I know that side of it being able to help maybe other student athletes, females be able to navigate some of this world because it seems like a really good fit. Yeah, for sure. We've done a bit of education. Um, I think that is a key part. And I think a lot of schools are trying to figure out the best way to give that education. You have to find the right people and you have to give it to the student athletes in a way that they're interested in and is appropriate for their situation. So we've done a bit of that. And I think that it's just like more important than, than you can ever imagine as a, as a student to make sure that you're not you know, giving away the right to use your image for the rest of your life. Right. You know, if you, if you don't read properly, people can really take advantage of you. So I definitely have enjoyed the bit of education that I've been able to get involved in um, and would love to get more involved in navigating the waters. Although there are a lot of different issues that can arise and that may require, you know, specific kind of advice as far as anything from immigration, trademark, accounting, taxes, and then um, just basic contract work, I think is, is where, the, where the bulk of it is and where a lot of the um, benefit can be provided to kind of your run-of-the-mill student athlete. The, the student athletes that are being approached for multi-million dollar deals, they're going to be able to have agents and lawyers and accountants who can, you know, nitpick <laughs> to make sure everything is perfect, but I think there really is a market for people who can provide guidance and education to those student athletes who are making money that is significant to them and, and have the potential to enter into contracts that can be impactful moving forward, out, even outside of their athletic um, experience. Well, no pun intended, but right now, I mean, it still is the wild, wild west, and it's like literally diving into the deep end of the pool with all of this, because like, again, that's a really bad pun, but it, it is what it is. I mean, there's so much still to learn. So I think someone like you, what a great thing. You've got um, the weight behind you of the athlete that you were at the school, but also to be able in a position to help, help other people navigate. What an amazing thing. Um, Danielle, one of the reasons why it was important for me to finally get you on and talk to you was obviously we just celebrated um, 50 years of Title IX. Um, and I just, um, as, a, as a former athlete myself, by no means at the collegiate level like yourself, but I, I take so much great pride in that. Um, and also being the first in this state to play fast pitch in the early years, I take a lot of a weight and behind that because of Title IX and what it allowed for us to do. How do you see Title IX and how have you seen it help within your sport, you know, potentially, you know, over the years in, in just your time swimming and for your former female, you know, athletes that you've, you know, been a part of on the teams? Truthfully, I don't think I knew that much about Title IX when I was an athlete. I was lucky enough to only have been alive and, and, you know, recall time when women were widely represented in sport, but it's only been in the years since that I have met and been able to learn from women in a variety of different sports who were around and were, you know, fighting to particularly in swimming to learn to learn from some women in the in the Florida swimming community who were on those first teams where they were, you know, waiting until for they had the worst practice time. They were they got the short end of the stick, but they were happy to be there. So it's been kind of eye-opening to see how far we've come but also to realize how far we still have to go. And so 
I couldn't be more thankful for my time as a student athlete. I am very passionate about the student athlete experience. I care much less about the score at the end of the game or the time on the board, but it taught me so many things and made me into the person who I am today that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to have those experiences, you know, in the same way. So I'm thankful for it. And at the same time, just think it's really important that we continue to push forward and provide opportunities for women, a diverse group of women in all the sports in across the spectrum of all the different schools. So just keeping mo moving forward and continuing to advocate for ourselves and make sure that the you know, young girls and women today have the same opportunities that we haven't had and hopefully even more um, as times change and, and maybe in some new sports and just keep keep pressing forward in the way that they have. Sometimes it's crazy to think about the big changes, like how big the changes have been in what I can you know think back to in the last couple of decades that's a relatively short period of time. So I hope that we continue to push forward in that manner and be thankful for what we have, but not um, stand still. Does a gal that spent so much time in the pool miss miss it at all? Or are you glad I'm done? I've closed that chapter. It's on the shelf and it's behind me. Or do you miss that competitive part of it and being in the pool with your teammates? I don't necessarily miss being in the pool. I miss being with my teammates. I miss, I'm a pretty big introvert. So I have always really appreciated the forced friends that swimming gave me um, and ended up going to law school at University of Florida where I uh, ended up coaching the club team, helping with the women's swim team and swimming masters. So despite my brief effort to stay away from swimming, I ended up back in it in a wonderful swimming community and I that's how I found a lot of my um, my friends and social circle in Gainesville so I don't really miss the actual swimming I will swim like I said I swim masters in Florida but that was because they had beautiful outdoor pools and it was relaxing so I'll swim for fun and for social um, activity but not really for a workout and I'm definitely not going back to Lancaster Aquatic Center to swim for exercise I've swim enough <laughs> staring at the ceiling and at the black line there yeah so right I like to go back to watch meets but um, I have found I tried a lot of different things I ran a half well ran walked I don't really love to run I know running is your yeah is your gig but I am passionate about encouraging people to think about what they love to do mm -hmm. We spend so much time, no matter what your sport was, being forced to yeah. do your sport and then whatever, you know, the, your running, your conditioning and your weightlifting. I think that everyone has something that they enjoy, whether it's hiking, walking, running, lifting, swimming, any combination of, you know, Pilates, yoga, all the, all the things. We have so many options now that I think it's important to focus on what you really enjoy and do more of that rather than continue to force yourself to do something um, because you feel like you have to. I just don't think it's sustainable and it's, it's not very healthy mentally, I think, to continue that way. So that was, that's kind of one of the things that I struggled with and I found a lot of my former teammates struggled with. So I tried to 
you know, implement that in my own life and, and help my friends do the same. You and I love burn boot camp, and I think I think we probably like it for the same reason. It's like we love the athletic conditioning, just no one is telling us we have to be there. So I think you and I probably like that because no one's telling us we have to do those things, right? Yeah, I love it. It's it is for me. There are a couple criteria, so like being different every day. I get mm -hmm. bored really easily. Having a coach or someone write the workout and being there during it. And then having other people around, I get bored. I tried to do like Peloton workouts in the garage during COVID and that was fine, but I just don't push myself yeah. enough. I get bored before I get into the groove. And like, I think when I'm at burn particularly, which is something that I'm loving lately. Yeah. I, I'm like, I can't just sit down on the ground. <laughs> at me. Um, so I, I really have enjoyed that. And that yeah. is I, that's how I figured out what I really enjoyed and, and it maybe will change as my life changes. That's the other thing that I think is important to recognize. You don't have to do the same thing yeah. for your whole life. You never really find the perfect thing that will work forever. You can, you say, this is what works for me now and keep an eye out and make changes as they're appropriate. Um, and Danielle, I'm going to say thank you to you because when you said that swimming kind of forced you into that circle and your circle of friends, I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you because swimming brought you into our life and you married into our best friend's family. And so we're glad that swimming brought you to us because that's how we first met. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to say thank you for that. Um, before I go, I, I want to give you a, a, a chance to plug, you have your own podcast, right? That you kind of put out into the world. So tell people, um, you know, what it is and, and what it serves to do and where people can find it if they want to listen. Thanks so much for, for letting me do a little plug. I kind of along the lines of what we've just been talking about, I think that the retirement part of sports is not often talked about and not often thought about as an athlete, particularly one that, you know, made it all the way to college. And I, I think for myself and a lot of my friends, that transition time to adulthood has been really difficult. And particularly during COVID, I found myself helping my sister who had just graduated from college and her friends tried to figure out all the things, <laughs> nutrition, exercise, personal finance, social health, mental health, physical health, all, all kinds of things. And I just felt like I had enough space and I thought about all this stuff for myself that I had some wisdom to give. And so I started Athlete to Adult. Um, we have a website, but we're, you, we're more active on Instagram and, and on podcasts. You can find us on most podcast players. And I, we release about every other week and I just post um, interviews with folks who are at a variety of stages in that transition to adulthood and or folks who are resources for, for people that are going through the transition. My goal is to create a community of people at all stages of the transition from athlete to adult. And the name is by no means saying that we're no longer athletes anymore. Um, I think that it just captured maybe more of an identity shift than anything else. So I'd love if you're interested to, to learn more about it or you have suggestions or would like to be more involved to let me know. You can find us at Athlete to Adult on Instagram. I'm Deej Day on Instagram if anyone is looking for me. Um, but yeah. 
Awesome. Danielle Gallier Day, you will always be a national champion uh, swimmer at the University of Kentucky, but thank you for what you're doing because that is something incredible, but what you're doing now in the adult world and giving back to student athletes probably far more, you know, incredible than um, than you really know. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you have chosen that path. And also that this is called Uniquely Kentucky. You didn't have to come back and live in Kentucky. So we're glad that you're here. So thank you for your time. Tonight. Yeah, I had, I had no real connection to Kentucky before I came here for school and really just fell in love with the school and the, the area and the people. And so I really enjoyed getting to know the the unique parts of Lexington and of Kentucky as a whole outside of the little university bubble that I lived in for four well, years. We're glad we could capture you. So um, everybody go check out uh, Danielle's podcast and everything that she's got to offer there um, in talking with um, former athletes and, and athletes just of all kinds. So Danielle Gallagher Day, thanks so much. And thank you to listening to Uniquely Kentucky. I will see you probably on the news before you hear me again. Get more local news and weather at a more convenient time. Watch WKYT News at 10 on the CW Lexington with Amber Philpott, Bill Bryant, and Chris Bailey.